Thought Bubble Audio. Hi and welcome to Academy Rewind, the fortnightly podcast where we take a look back at the Oscars from years past. I'm Tim, and with me, as always, is 2008's best cowboy, Palmer. How are you today? I'm very good, friendo. You're very good, friendo. <laughs> Maybe I should shit to uh, 2008's best um, Javier Bardem. <laughs> <laughs> yes, take that, the real Javier Bardem. <laughs> My time has come. <laughs> All right, so we're taking a look. So this is season two. Yeah. Uh, season two. Uh, we've been renewed by ourselves. Congratulations. <laughs> uh, it was a tough negotiation process. Yeah, it was. We decided, should we record on Mondays or on Thursdays? What do we do? <laughs> Ultimately... We still don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we're here to take. We are here to take a look at two thousand. The best pictures of two thousand eight. They are as follows: Michael Clayton, Atonement, Juno, There Will Be Blood, and No Country for Old Men. Yes, those do, were the movies. Do you know what one? Uh, I do. Uh, could you tell the audience? Uh, no Country for Old Men. No Country for Old Men did indeed win Best Picture yeah. for two thousand eight. We are going to talk about them in the order that I just said them. So let's start with Michael Clayton. Yes. Did you think about Tarzan the entire time during this movie? Because I did. Why every, did you think about Tarzan? Every time they said Clayton, I remembered every time there's a gunshot. <laughs> gorilla. In, gorilla. Clayton. Yeah. yeah. See, I, I don't. Yeah, my cuts aren't that deep. It made... Um, Except when you take them at my expense, <laughs> then you cut me real deep. Um, it, it made the movie much more enjoyable than it was. So, uh, directed by Tony Gilroy, written by Tony Gilroy. Edited by Tony Gilroy? No. <laughs> Based on a concept by Tony Gilroy? Well, I, he did write it. Um, starring George Clooney, Tilda Swinton, and Tom Wilkinson. Um, this, is the, this is the story of a fixer. For a uh, for a firm named Michael Clayton, and he is George Clooney is uh, played uh, playing Michael Clayton. Basically, is trying to help the Tom Wilkinson character. Basically, has a mental breakdown uh, during who's like one of the the country's best lawyers, yes. and he's that's how it always is. It is, and he's had a mental breakdown, and he's trying to help him behind the scenes. And Tom Wilkinson's not making it uh, not making it easy for him. Nope. And then you have Tilda Swinton, who is working for this company that Tom Wilkinson is railing against or for. While he's defending them. While he's defending them. Yeah. And uh, and it's a whole it's a whole big mesh. Yes. Uh, what a movie. This this was a movie that I watched and, and you watched. Yes. Um, I would like to say that uh, Tony Gilroy... Um, he didn't start off as a director. He started off as a writer. That's right. Um, he wrote Cutting Edge, which is one of my favorite movies. Uh, he um, wrote the Bourne movies. Yes. Those are not as highly. To me, you can easily track Tony Gilroy's uh, career into two paths. The good side, where you have Cutting Edge and Armageddon. Devil's Advocate. Devil's Advocate. And then he Rogue ruins... One. And then he ruins Meg Ryan's <laughs> marriage... Explain yourself. Because he wrote the movie State of Play where she cheats on, that was when she cheated on uh, Dennis Quaid 
with oh. Russell Crowe, and oh. that broke up their marriage. Oh. And then since then, he's just been absolute garbage. Oh, that's a good movie, though. <laughs> <laughs> I like um, I like that movie. So, one of the things I would like to. Uh, talk about this year specifically yeah because there are some movies that i liked and some movies i didn't like and Un- unlike last season in which yeah you hated but all i of mean them. in this in this one i'm like what do you think qualifies a movie to actually get nominated for the best picture oh what an interesting question because this th- these movies yes. in this category are some of the most stripped down um like simply complex movies mm-hmm. that they, that there are out there. I love seeing trends, you know, right. because just you know, because just the next the next year, you know, after after this, we go to two thousand nine, our first episode, and you get Frost Nixon, Curious Case Benjamin Button, The Reader, Milk, Slumdog Millionaire, which are not as stripped down, right? Um, but uh, like almost every single one of these films. Maybe except you, Juno. Except no, I was going to say all of them are basically character pieces. Yes. Um, and actually, maybe Juno I think is more of a character piece than uh, Atonement is probably the only one that is more right. than a character piece. Yeah, because you, it's really about multiple characters. It's, <laughs> it's really an ensemble piece. Yes, uh, yeah, a bit. So, um, yeah. So anyway, going going back to um. Going back to No Country for Old Men, I mean uh, Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton. <laughs> um, ew, I don't know what actually. I don't know what actually. Uh, I can't. I can't think of the way I said it. Um, this movie was fine, and that's probably like. But there, I don't think there was anything special about this movie except for right. Tom Wilkinson's performance. Uh, Tom Wilkinson is is really good, um, and it's weird that. The one who wins an award out of the entire cast is Tilda Swinton. Also, I don't know why. I mean, I love Tilda Swinton. Yeah. I know you don't really. Yeah. I love her. She's great in everything. She was f- good in this movie. Mm-hmm. I don't think she was, like, magnificent. Yeah. I mean, the the biggest problem I have with this movie is kind of the script. Um, It's weird. Like, some of the notes that I wrote down, like, you have... Like, you have all these movies about fixers, and yep. we always got to call in the fixer to fix these things. Mm-hmm. But the one that we always see is always, like, the one time the fixer either has a crisis of conscience or just can't fix it. Like, all these fabled fixers, we never see them actually doing what they're... What they're supposed to do. Right. Like, even at the beginning of this movie, before it... And I think that's the other... The, one of my main problems with this movie is this movie starts, like, towards the end of the film... And then it and then it flashes back to show you the events leading up to it. Indeed. And even then, like he goes on this case about one could say it was laying the seeds for next year's framing device (laughs) epidemic. Um, So, like, we see George Clooney go to this house where this guy had a hit and run, and he's like, "Well, I can't do anything. I'm out of here. Peace out." Mm. And I'm like, "Wow, you're the like the guy gets upset." Well, well, the the guy, the guy that he is working with is like so like not helping his own case well yeah if i was him i wouldn't help him either yeah so um so george clooney's car blows up and then it goes it goes into the past to show you the events leading up to it and this movie has good ideas and i think it takes too many side roads 
I don't think it explores enough of any of those roads. I think right. that was actually what I found, I guess, troubling about the film is that like it wants to be this character piece about Michael Clayton mm-hmm. and how he's just trying to get out of this business, but he can't because he's in a financial debt and he wants to be a good father, but he's not being a good father because right. he's stuck in the situation. But it doesn't really explore any of those things. It doesn't even like you essentially know that he had a business with his brother and it failed. That's all you know. But you don't know like why did it fail? Why do these brothers no longer talk? Like it doesn't it doesn't give you any of that information. It's uninterested in that information. Right. And then it's like obviously they must have borrowed money from a loan shark for some reason. Yep. But it's all uninterested in that because there's it's also interested in this big this big case where yes. you know one company did something bad and they knew about it but they let it happen anyway right and, you know and then tell- and i think that movie like give me more of that movie and this movie becomes so much better like let's see tom wilkinson like defending them and then slowly realizing all of this you know i agree the more interesting part of this film was the tom wilkinson bit it wasn't actually michael clayton right and nothing against george clooney like he's i think good he did, in the movie. i think he's good in the movie he um and some of the, he was nominated he didn't win yeah and some of the best scenes are him and tom wilkinson going back and forth i agree um they they bounce off each other really well um and then tilda swinton just shows up um, she shows up a couple of times. She shows up a couple of times. One time having a really confusing conversation with an assassin. Mm-hmm. Like like hiring an assassin, I've I've concluded is the most like convoluted process ever. Okay. Where she's like, Is there any other options that we can explore? And he's like, Well, we have lasagna. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, I don't know. How about fruit loops? Yeah. And it's just a weird conversation. Well, in a world where everything is tagged and tagged and recorded and like all the stuff like, you know, you got to have backwards conversations. And even then, like at what point like this. All right. So this company did some some really bad stuff. Yeah. And she's trying to she's trying to protect her mentor mm-hmm. because she really didn't have anything to do with it. Like the the document that that um Tom Wilkinson has doesn't have her name on it. Yep. It has her previous boss's name on That's it. That's right. Um so like there's there's a severe leap in logic for her now in control of this company to be like, well, we just got to kill everybody at this point. Yeah. Yeah, she got nervous. <laughs> She's an armpit sweater and she was nervous. Yeah. Um I don't know. Like, I kind of this this movie was whatever to me. Like, yeah. it it wasn't enough of one thing or the other thing to be interesting on either end. Yeah, like I've like this is the first year that I've seen all of the nominees before this. Oh, okay. So this is a rewatch on all of these, and I remember like severely disliking this movie. Okay, when I first saw it, this time around, I don't hate it nearly as much. That's good. But I don't, like... You don't see why it was in this category. Yeah. There was probably better movies that came out this year. Yeah, and that's, like, it leads me to my question of, like, so out of, like, the major awards, you have the two acting, the Mm -hmm. two supporting, directing, writing... Cinematography. Cinematography, you know, how many of those do you need to do really good to get nominated for Best Picture? All of them. I think you need to... 
Well, you, you kind of need to come across all of them. Well, in that case, spoiler, half of these movies shouldn't have been nominated. I agree. <laughs> um, not because they're not good movies. Yeah. I think you're just they're just like missing a bit. So like this one, you could say like it has a really good it has two good actors and Tilda Swinton that even if you like her, she's not necessarily good in this movie. Like I don't see her as a cut above in this movie. And I don't either. She fits in fine with everybody else. I think Tom Wilkinson is the one he actually steals. Like he drives the movie. The movie. Yeah, yeah I, th- I, th- I don't think it works as well without him. Yeah, because he's actually compelling. Where everybody else is kind of like exactly. You know? And I'm not. I'm not interested in that kind of life. But speaking of, let's talk about atonement. Okay. Um, else, you have anything else to say about Michael Clayton? Uh, no, not really. I mean, there's there's a lot of writing problems with it. It's 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 fine. Yeah, like it's like I said, all of these movies are stripped so stripped down, and we know the goal of this is to look insular, like about these movies, not being like, oh well, this movie came out this year and it's so much better. Like it's not about that; it's about yeah. the choices that were already up there. And I, I, I'll say this positive about it: like the opening, the opening scenes. So say I think it's like the opening fifteen minutes where he's he's playing the card, you know, he's playing the card game, gets a call, goes to the hit and run, you know, leaves that guy and then yeah. drives and sees a bunch of deer and his car blows up. Mm-hmm. That's a really good beginning. Yeah, I really like it. I'm like, I want to know what's going on now. I agree. And then it's like, here we go into the past, and I'm like, oh, and because of because of the way this movie starts out and gets set up. And then it goes into the past, like everything that happens, you're like, it becomes blunted because it's like, we want you to kill Michael Clayton. Well, obviously you didn't because you blew up his car when he wasn't in it. Right. And so everything, any tension that could be there is gone because we know he's fine. Like if you take that out, I think this movie becomes different. And while I'm not saying it's necessarily a better movie, I think it has a little bit more of the tension that it wanted. But I think the movie... Like it wants to be a movie about Michael Clayton and not about the plot, but then, it, but the, but the plot is more. But interesting. he's not. Yeah, he's but the not plot written. is more interesting than the character. Yeah, but it's okay. not about the plot. So it's like this weird. <laughs> it sits in this weird in between place. Right. All right. So atonement. So let's talk about atonement. Yes. Directed by Joe Wright, um, written by Christopher Hampton, based on the novel by Ian McEwan, uh, starring Keira Knightley, James uh, McAvoy. Um, uh, uh, her name is Sersha Ronan. Nope. Or Saoirse Saoirse Ronan, Show. Uh Benedict Cumberbatch and Vanessa Redgrave. You know, it's funny that you actually put Benedict Cumberbatch in there because my second line in my notes is, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, Benedict Cumberbatch, oh my God, <laughs> That's oh my God. Actually, when I, was, I didn't know he was in the movie. I added his name <laughs> in later because I, I, I go through and I write down director, right. director, writer, starring, music, cinematography, design, and costumes. Those are all like the, yep. the people that I can go back and reference to. Um, if I need to, and I like I squeezed his name in in the corner because I didn't originally have him. He shows up like, ah, oh, it's Benny. Before you were famous, you look exactly the same. You have not aged which is weird since two thousand seven. I was gonna say, which is weird because like in this movie, you assume he's playing somebody like older, like way older than he is. Uh, I, I wouldn't say way this older. guy owns a chocolate in, factory, yeah, right? he's in his, and he's would, not named Charlie. I would say he's in his thirties. I would say he was in his thirties, right? Yeah, but he's obviously not in his thirties in the sh- in the movie. No, he's in his twenties, right? Yeah, this it is true. That's it's the crazy. mustache. It is it is the mustache, the really weird yep. mustache. Um, so this movie is a 
about Keira Knightley and James McAvoy, who have this kind of we love each other but we can't say anything kind of relationship. And it's about Keira Knightley's creepy sister, Saoirse Ronan, uh, who just misinterprets a lot of what she sees because she's a kid and um and it ends up getting James McAvoy in trouble even though he didn't do anything wrong mm-hmm. the kids basically some kids run away from the house and everybody goes looking for them and Saoirse Ronan comes across um one of those kids um uh, being sexually assaulted by somebody that she claims is James McAvoy even though you never see his his face so mm-hmm. he goes to prison and then he gets you know he goes and becomes a soldier in World War Two, and he's part of Dunkirk and yeah, all of this stuff. Dumb, yeah, I did like, did like that. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, look. I'm so they glad made, I saw this movie yeah, they before movie I saw Atonement. Yep. Yeah. Um, and so, because actually, if I had not seen, because Dunkirk is not something you learn about in, right. in, in America. It's just not part of, part of class, really. And so, and so, if I had seen the Dunkirk scenes in Atonement, I would have no idea what's like, yeah, like why uh, are you all on a beach? Yeah. yeah. Who can like? Why are you guys fighting on a beach? Is it D Day? Is it D Day? <laughs> D Day, right? That's the only beach fight that I right. know about. Um, so, so without so it kind of goes through a a number of years, maybe about ten ish years altogether. Once you've added up all the time, less than that, but you know, like anywhere between like mm-hmm. five and ten years, I'd say about seven. Um, and it goes through these three characters' lives, and it starts before the war, and it ends up after the war right. and then it skips way forward and then Vanessa Redgrave takes over mm-hmm. as Saoirse Ronan uh, and because there's three Saoirse Ronans in here um, but only one Saoirse Ronan yeah um, her name is Briley so there's yeah I don't um, like that name yeah so there's young Briley played by Saoirse Ronan and then the middle one and then Vanessa Grave at the very end uh, you didn't even write down who plays middle no did I didn't no. I, I took scroll all the way through <laughs> um, yeah couldn't find it Brenda Blathine. That's not her name. That's no, that is, no, that is an older woman. I know. <laughs> just, I'm just trying. It's the only other name I wrote down. Um, anyway, I thought this movie was stupendously acted. Um, okay. And it made me, the movie makes you very uncomfortable. As oh, yeah. a lot of I, these movies I actually about, did. I actually texted you about that last night. This was the movie that I was watching. This is what you were watching? Okay. Uh, because as soon as Benedict Cumberbatch shows up and he has the scene. With the brothers and Juno Temple. Yep. Um, and he's like, I own a chocolate factory. I'm like, Ugh. Uh, Yeah. <laughs> it's true. As soon as he walked in the room, I yep. was like, no, this is not going to go well. But even then, like, all right. So we've always said that like, you've already had your chance to see these movies. Like, we're, we yeah. don't, we're not going to talk about these movies and try and skip around spoilers. Yeah. Um, so he's the one who sexually assaults Juno Temple. But the question is, is it really? Uh, yeah. Because, I, yeah. Because it, they, you know, spoiler, they end up getting married. Yep. And you're right. It could just be like, well, he's doing it so he doesn't get in trouble. She, you know, she's doing it because she she feels connected to him. Right. Um, but there are scenes because she is around the same age as uh, Briley. Yes. Yeah, so, so they're like 13, 14. So it's very interesting that. I think that they got different actresses for the Briley part, right? But they didn't get different actresses for that Juno Temple part. It's it's the same actress. It, she plays it twice. It's kind of, so it's almost like her. Like if you want to if you want to take the route that 
that he sexually assaulted her, mm-hmm. it kind of like stops her aging at that point. Yeah, like his, that's the that's the yeah. thing that you could read into it. The other thing is though, like the scenes that they have together before that, mm-hmm. she is very flirty with him. Oh yeah, very. I think she's supposed to be a little older than Brian. Um, so the I so it's really like a mishmash of like does she does she flirt with him and she just doesn't like real like she's she's flirting with him she doesn't know what it means to be an adult i don't think and she I knows think she, yeah that's exactly and right it's weird like because she goes along with what she goes along with what briley says and does yep after she gets caught and the question is is she going along with it cuz she got caught is she embarrassed? Like she obviously knows who did it, and uh, Briley, you kind of you kind of glossed over this. Briley has a crush on James McAvoy. Yep, and I, she yeah, gets right. very hurt when she finds out that James McAvoy has a thing for her sister Kira Knightley. Yep, um, and that's where like she's like, oh, because he doesn't like me, he's obviously the evil one. Mm. Um, and that's like the crux of the story. Yep. Th- you're right. This movie is so well acted. I like, like I love Kira Knightley to begin with, and she's just so good in this movie. Especially because at the time, this is a little bit different from the role she was playing. Yeah, this was kind of her, um, like I want to break out of yeah my Pirates of the Caribbean phase. Uh, this might have been before Pirates. This is way this is way after Pirates. Right. First Pirates movie is early two thousands. This is the movie was made in two thousand seven. Yeah, well, this is time after travel. Pirates. Um, but she's also in uh, Pride and Prejudice before this. Yep. Uh, also directed by uh, the same director, Joe, Joe Wright. Yep. Um, James McAvoy is really good. Kira Knightley is really good. Saoirse Ronan. Saoirse Ronan. No, that's not how it's spelled. I. But that's how you say it. Um, we saw her live, and and like it's 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 very eerie, like similar characters. She like is they're both a, creepy, it is kind yeah, of because we saw characters. her in the Crucible. Yeah, it is a similar character. Um, so she's really good in it. Juno Temple, I really like in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the story, like what you expect, is like this love story because that's what it starts out as. Yep. And then they get kind of broken up. Well, it doesn't really start out as that like a love story. You're I I don't think that's correct because the first thing we watch is Briley Saoirse Ronan's character misinterpret oh, yeah. the scene at the fountain with James McAvoy and Keira Knightley, which looks super bad from her perspective and from right. the audience's perspective. So, it's not it doesn't really set itself up as a love story right away. Yeah. Um actually that's the second scene. The first scene is her recreating the opening sequence of The Lion King oh, with yeah. the toy circle of life yeah, okay. going on. So, but so either way, yeah. like I, there it's not it doesn't pretend that it's a quote unquote a love story. I did like that the movie's called Atonement. Yeah. yeah. I did like the two the two or three times that you see the scene from her point of view first, yep. they go backwards and show you everything. I like that too. In between, like I thought mm-hmm. that was such a good idea. Um, and this movie's just written fantastically. Like I saw this movie when it first came out in theaters and I hadn't seen it since then. Um, but I like, this is a movie that I would go back and watch anytime, anywhere. I would go back and watch this movie. I mean, it's a very, un- it's a very unsettling movie. But I would go back and watch it. It is, um, and it's a very heartbreaking movie because you're right. Uh, you know, once you get into the love story aspect, and then they, 
and then they get broken up because of Cersei Ronan um getting closer. <laughs> you know, they get broken up and then he you know, he goes to jail and he has the option of being a prisoner still or going into the war and he chooses the war. Right. Um and then it's about her trying to atone with her sister during this period of time. Yep. And her and her sister still being in love with James McAvoy. With James McAvoy. Um, and their journey during the war period takes up the bulk of this movie. Like the first half hours when they're children, the bulk of the movie is during the war period. And then there's like a 20 minute wrap up um, where she's older and she's a novelist. And she writes this as her final novel because she has a degenerative disease and she really wants to tell this story. She wants to. She wants, she wants to, to atone. Get the, yeah, she wants to atonement. That's not how you use the word. <laughs> <laughs> she wants to get this weight off her chest because ultimately her sister and James McAvoy can't be together. But she writes it differently. Right. Thank you for spoiling that whole movie for everybody. I, dude, I, I, you know what? <laughs> it I'm, wasn't necessary. It was. It wasn't. It wasn't. It was. Um. What what about the rest? Of, what about the rest of this movie? Like it's the costumes, the the setting, oh, I love the her green cinema, dress. The setting, her green dress is so awesome. Yep, I agree. Keira Knightley is green dress in this movie is probably one of my favorite pieces of clothing, not only this year but probably in any movie so far that we've done. Mm. It's just really it's very vibrant and. She sticks out, whereas everyone else is wearing, like, her sister is wearing very, like, milk-white clothing. Yeah. Very plain clothing. Like, this is why, you know, the the attention's drawn to her. That's right. Um, you can you can also understand, it's it's written well enough and shot well enough, you can understand Briley's point of view, but, like, you just want to shake the adults in the room and be like, why are you listening to this child? Exactly. Yeah. Like, I saw him run away, so I know exactly who it is. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Do you really? Do you? Do you? Um, uh, but, I mean, like, we're, we're, we're privy to information, you know, yeah. everybody else isn't. I, I, I thought, find it. Go ahead. I find it hilarious, like, when she walks in on the library scene and... Kira Knightley is doing like her best Spider-Man impression. Spider-Man, Spider-Man. like she just like Having freezes sex with in, James McAvoy. <laughs> she's just like freezing in position. Like, don't worry, my sister's visual acuity is based on movement. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all all children's visual is based on movement. Just don't move. <laughs> Zip your pants up and pretend that she's not there. Yeah. I did like that scene right afterwards. She was, <laughs> was like. She, he was hurting my sister, and if I didn't walk in, who knew what would have happened? Oh yeah, that was yeah, like her justifying, like yeah, right. Her watching her justification for what's going on mm-hmm. is is really good, and yep. she plays it so well. And she, I believe, she got nominated. She was nominated, this. yeah. Um, and she is kind of the driving force of this movie. I mean, she is for that first half. I mean, but then, it, but then it's really James McAvoy that drives the rest, pretty much the rest of the movie yeah. until the last twenty minutes or so. Um, so it's really both of their movies, and then Keira Knightley is a little bit on the back burner hmm. um, once it gets once it gets to the war. Not a terrible amount, but the one enough. thing I really, the one of the main things I really love in this movie is the original music, like using the typewriter beat. Oh as, yeah, as the movement for the for the music. Yeah, uh, this movie won best score as actually, well. As it should have. as it should have. It, it, yeah, it, just like the. the, the, the what, type, what does a typewriter sound like? 
That's, that's what it's, dude, trust me, no one listening to this podcast knows what a typewriter sounds like. I'm pretty sure for that's all they true. do, for all they know, that's right. No, no, it's <laughs> okay. Stop it. Okay, you're right. I'm. You've gushed about this movie enough. Are you done now? Maybe. Okay. We're, I'm moving on. Okay. To, I know a movie that you definitely loved. Juno, <laughs> directed by Jason wow, Reitman, written by Diablo Cody, starring Ellen Page, Michael Sarah, um, Jen Jennifer Gardner, Jason Bateman, Allison Janney, and J.K. Simmons. This, this, this kind of sounded like um, facetious that I would like this movie. So yeah, I didn't think you'd like this movie at all. What's this movie about? This movie is about uh, a 16-year-old girl named Juno who has sex with one of her friends one night, Michael Sarah, because they're bored. And she ends up becoming pregnant, and it goes through her journey of deciding to keep the baby instead of um, deciding to abort it. And then, you know, her, um, finding parents to adopt it afterwards. And it's just about her nine months of this mm-hmm. and uh, and how it affects her, her friends, her family, um, all of that. Um, I will give a little shout out to Olivia Thurbley, I think her name is, who plays her best friend. Um, mm-hmm. She was um, Dredd's um, partner in Judge Dredd. Or oh, no, in just in Dredd, I should say, not in Judge okay. Dredd. Yeah. That's uh, the only other thing I've ever seen her in. But she was good in she both was good. She was like. good in both things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's what the that's what the movie's about. Um, mm-hmm. What did I, you think of it? I really liked it. Okay. Um, I don't. I can kind of see why it was nominated for best picture. It's definitely that first it's that first generation movie of look we're being weird and quirky and indie and we have bright colors in our you know in our uh, and we're using and we're using modern folk songs and you know like it's got that it ha- it's that first one to do it that people have been copying for 10 years now. Um you know I what I mean? It's the first one to do it. It's one of the first ones. I mean, Wes Anderson had a career before this movie. I, it's Wes Anderson. It's a slightly different flair than okay. Wes Anderson, but I, I understand what you yeah, mean. Yeah. But it's it's got that like young adult novel adaptation kind of you know. It's like um, oh, you're just throwing words together in a sentence. No, I'm not. I'm trying to think of like uh, perks of being a wallflower or Ooh, that was a good movie. Um. Me, Earl, and the Dying Girl. Never um, heard of that movie. Um, even like, even Scott Pilgrim to an extent. The way that it like, the, like think of like the intro to Scott Pilgrim with mm-hmm. like its colors and it looks like and everything's the hand like drawn and colored, animated, like um, opening credit scene stuff like that. Okay, that's what I mean. It has it has that visual flair to it, but I think it was one of the first ones to really do it, like Napoleon Dynamite style almost. Right. Um, I had never seen this movie before. Okay, um, I had never seen any of them, and I had, every time I had told people I've never seen Juno, I always get the "What do you mean you've never seen Juno?" Yeah, that's true. You because you are friends with a lot of hipsters. Yeah, so yeah, it's hipster. That's kind of the best word. I was. That's a <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was kind of expecting to n- not totally enjoy it, just because it's like when somebody tells you to watch something so many times, there's something in your brain that goes. Bleh. Yeah, you know, um, but I I enjoyed it. I thought it was well acted. The story is kind of what you expect. I don't think it's, I don't think it's out of this. I don't think it's out of this world. Okay. I don't think it's by the numbers. It's a it's a good story that you can kind of see coming. Mm-hmm. I guess. Um, 
But uh, again, it's a stripped down piece and it's about character dynamic more than anything else. Right. Um, and I think, I think everybody does a great, I think everybody does a great job. Um, Ellen Page is, Ellen Page is great. Michael Sarah is like Michael Sarah, but mm-hmm. he's subdued Michael Sarah. Like he, he's, he's not, he's not over the, he's not his over the top version of himself. He's like, he's a, he's a, a, a quiet he's version. He's just starting out. Maybe that's it. Um, Jennifer Gardner and Jason Bateman are great. Allison Janney and J.K. Simmons is fantastic and everything. Right. So um, I wish he had more to do. Me too. He's one of the. He's probably one of his calmest roles I've ever actually mm-hmm. seen him in. Uh, he's like quiet disposition dad. Yeah. But um. But I really, I, I really liked this film. Okay. Um. So here are my notes. Okay. Um. Starting at the beginning of the movie, I hate the hipster soundtrack. Yep. Uh. Then I hate Michael Sarah. Yep. Uh. Then I can't tell yet if I hate the writing. Yep. Then mispronounced Kraken. Did you say Kraken? Yep. I think that's actually actually you, no, it, it's, Kraken. It's Kraken. Kraken is the correct pronunciation. Kraken is incorrect. No, Kraken. Uh, then right under that, yes, I do hate the writing. Okay. Uh, then Jason Bateman equals always creepy. Yeah. Mm, I have to think about that for a second. And then could Jason Bateman be creepier? <laughs> Followed not too long not too long after by oh my god Jason. Bateman is creepier. See, and now it's it's funny because when you texted me last night and you said this movie's creeping me out without giving me whatever right. creepy movie, I first thought you were thinking of Juno <laughs> that, or No Country for Old Men. Like his his scenes with a sixteen year old Ellen Page is very creepy. It's supposed to be creepy. Very creepy. Right. It's supposed to be creepy. Like out of all these movies this this year. That I've seen where people were creepy. Yeah. Like... He did the best job at being creepy. Like... And... Oh, man. Yeah. But see, I, here's this thing. Like, so and, when a movie unsettles you like that, you tend not to like it. Did you... Have you ever recognized that about yourself? When when a movie does what it's supposed to do and make you feel uncomfortable, you say it's a bad movie because it makes you feel uncomfortable. Not, but not, that's exactly what it's supposed to do. I like Atonement. Um... Here's the yeah. here's the problem is he's just being creepy. Like at no point was I like he's gonna do something to Ellen Page. It's just like, dude, you're like forty and you're really throwing yourself at a sixteen year old. Right. He's like it was just it was just it was, see, I I get that reading from him right from the beginning. Like that very first scene with him and Jennifer Gardner as the married couple right. that are going to adopt Juno's baby. I also love how like all of well, their thank you for cutting me off in the middle of my sentence. But it goes to them being married. Like he's even creepy in their photographs. They're all white clothing photographs. Oh yeah, though. Well, that's all her. Yeah, that's definitely all <laughs> her doing that. But but um, like it's very evident from their first meeting that he really doesn't want the baby nor does he really love his wife right and so and because he and juno just get along like just as people he like something shifts in his brain that that shouldn't and i don't think he even reckon he doesn't even maybe fully recognize it or pursue it until a certain point where he's like i'm leaving my wife for you basically yeah and she's like uh no, dude, we just like horror movies. Like, you're a weirdo. Get away from me. It It's... I'm I'm so happy you brought up the horror movie thing. Um, because 
like aside from disliking the hipster soundtrack, the moment I realized I really disliked the writing in this movie was how unabashedly hipster this movie becomes where it's like, no, I really like this esoteric group music group and these esoteric film directors. Like, no, my film directors and song choices are even more esoteric. And I'm like, I hate you both. Hmm. Like the only person, the only three people I really like in this movie are Alison Janney, J.K. Simmons, and Jennifer Garner. The best friend, yes. Everyone else can fly off a cliff for all I care at the end of this movie. Ellen Page does a good job with the material given. And she seems very natural, like acting it out. Like it feels very Ellen Page. But that doesn't mean I like the writing. She's just really like she just feels natural, which okay. is a hard thing to do in a movie. Okay, I everything that you said, I could have told you you were going to say. Yeah, like you're you're not shocking me in any way with this information. Nor am I probably shocking you with the fact that I liked it. Yet I do tend, I do tend to like um, Jason Reitman. Is it Jason Bateman? No, 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 no. The director. The director is Jason Reitman. Yeah, yeah. I do tend to like his movies because he did, um, he did, um, Up and Away. Okay. The the George Clooney one. Up in the air. Up in the air. Um, and he did Thank You for Smoking. Those I think are infinitely better. Mm. Um, Thank You for Smoking is a great film. Yeah, I think writing just kind of fails on this for me because it, you know this movie won Best Original Screenplay. We don't like to talk about that. Like, I don't, who, like, what happened to, like, the, the, um, the stereotypical, like, out of touch Oscar voter that they voted for this? Um, I'm going to say all the other movies. (laughs) Juno is the only one that feels like a movie that's, like, for the people. (laughs) Maybe No Country for Old Men. I don't think you know what for the people means. (laughs) Yeah, like, it doesn't, these movies don't. Yeah. Do not feel like a crowd. They're not a crowd pleasing slate of films. Yeah. Um, Juno is probably the closest one that you get to that because the majority of the people in the world like this movie. Well, the majority of the people are dumb. Oh, okay. Well, that they're still the majority. <laughs> like you, you do realize how like how ironic your statements are. Like you hate a movie because it's because it's hipster and like. And like different and all these things. Right. And you're like, I hate that it's so different. I'm going to be different because everyone likes yes. it. <laughs> like you do but realize I, the dichotomy of what you're it saying. before it was cool. No, you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just pointing out your own hypocrisy. That's all. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I liked it. I think this movie was, fr- I think it's framed very well. It's, it's like, it's got. I like the running gag, like the track team that keeps running by. Ah, um, get it, running gag, running gag, right? Is he like it's it's smart? It's a it's a smart film. It's a simple film, but it, it's smart. Um, and I th- yeah, I, I don't think it. I mean, this movie's not that old for us right now. I it's not going to age well. I don't think it ages well now. Um, I do. Because there's still films like this being made, yeah. Um, like me, Earl and the Dying Girls, so, which you have not seen, which I maybe recommend. Don't recommend. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not sure. I recommend it for other people. If you like <laughs> Juno, watch me, Earl and the Dying Girl. Um, but uh, I because there are films like this still being made, I think it it's okay. But maybe in twenty, thirty years time, I don't know how it's going to sit mm-hmm. anymore. But but I think it's good. I think it's good, and it's it's 
real for the most part. I think the most unrealistic thing about it is the Jason Bateman, um, um, Ellen Page dynamic. Yeah. Um, but it fe- that feels like tension for the sake of tension, you know. But I mean, is it really tension? Because like he throws himself at her and she's just like either she's oblivious or she just doesn't care she's oblivious she's 16 years old yeah of course she does of course she doesn't think that a 40 year old man is like hey you know like also like she spends so she spends a lot of time in the movie or at least a good chunk of the time in the movie like talking about like her interest in michael sarah yeah, and she's and like at the end, she's like, you know, I've I've decided I love you because you're cool without trying, and she lists all these good attributes, and I'm like, where the hell was this character? Because that's not the character I saw. Um, uh, I agree and disagree. It's not like cool in the stereotypical sense. It's cool to her. He's not. It's not like he's being cool. He's just who he is, mm. and she and that's what she finds. The most appealing about him because she already kind of walks to the beat of her own drum and he walks to the beat of his by himself and he jogs to the beat of his own drum right because he's on the track team Um, and he does that because that's what he wants to do and he's not ashamed by it or anything like that's just who he is and that's what she finds attractive about Mm. him it's not because he's quote unquote cool because remember that the cool guy has a crush on her and she deliberately ignores that guy because it's subverting the expectation of a movie like this where you know like the weird kid falls in love with the cool kid and then there you know what i mean that's why this movie now i want to watch she's all that see but now this that's why this movie is smarter than some of those other ones and i think that's why it why it gets nominated and wins yeah it tries to be smarter you know i think that's you actually you hit the nail on the head it's smarter but it it knows it's smarter and to my feeling because it does that it comes off pretentious Mm, okay i can i guess i can understand your point i don't agree but yeah no we're i not knew you would it's not this is which not, is good because, this is not your kind of film yeah. going into it and i knew you wouldn't like it yeah watch it. i hadn't even seen it and i knew you wouldn't like juno i you know i really like these movies because there's there's times that i feel we agree too much on the podcast so i really like when we come across a movie that we that we're on very opposite ends of the spectrum i'll be interested in what we're how we are with there will be blood our next film mm-hmm. directed by paul thomas anderson written by paul thomas anderson based on the novel oil by upton sinclair starring daniel day lewis paul dano kieran hines paul f tompkins um this is a movie about an oil man played by Daniel Day-Lewis uh, playing a character named Daniel and his opposition with a uh, religious group with a, Christ- uh, a very zealous religious Christian group led by Paul Dano playing a character named Paul. How convenient. Um, well, actually, throughout most of the movie, he's playing a character called Eli. He plays the he plays Paul once. Yeah. Well, it's still. You know, <laughs> it's still there. Um, so the, the movie is kind of, fo- it just kind of follows a bit of the life of Daniel, mm-hmm. Daniel Day-Lewis, uh, and his and his oil company and building it up and his opposition with Eli and, and, and that's that. There's about 
I would say about fifth. It's about fifteen minutes of silence in this film. At the beginning, nobody speaks. It is actually fifteen minutes. Um, Did you five it? minutes in, uh, he says the word "no" to himself. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's ad libbed. So the first actual like written dialogue is fifteen minutes into yeah. the film. So knowing that, know what you're getting yourself into. Um, you, this is totally not your kind of movie either. Um, is this really anybody's kind of movie? Yeah, it's got a ninety-one percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and you're and it won Best Cinematography and Best Actor. I will, but you know what? So, so we said at the beginning, like, why does a film get nominated for Best Picture? This one because it this looks gets, great. This, yes, it looks great. Um, I think I like how Atonement looks more. Agreed. Because I don't it's think more this aesthetically won. like this. Yeah. This is like wide open spaces. Like it's kind of hard to make wide open spaces look bad. Nah. You just need to know where to shoot. Like you need to have a good eye to where to shoot. Sure. But you don't have to do a lot to dress the scene. No, but it's also about color. It's also about coloring in a particular way and there stuff are, like that. There are times like I feel the coloring gets in the way. Like there's a lot of bland well, it's the desert, desert coloring. It's the desert. Um, but it gets nominated for cinematography. It gets nominated for best picture because of cinematography and Daniel Day Lewis, who is just a great actor. Right. Well, the, like, the, they work in tandem together. Like this movie doesn't work without him. That's basically oh, a, yeah. that's basically out. This movie is a vehicle for Daniel Day Lewis to tell to show everyone how awesome he is at being Daniel Day Lewis. Right. That's well, although it's funny, like his because he's. Very well known for throwing himself into a role. Yeah, uh, he's a method actor. Yeah, he he made Exxon, the oil company, to be part of this movie. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's um, how committed he is. But it's weird, like in this movie, like as much as I love like his mannerisms and his voice, his voice sounds a little too much like Bill the Butcher. From you know, Gangs I in New York. you know, it's funny. I thought that too, and I've only seen Gangs in New York once. Nope, but there were there were a couple of times. There were a couple of times where I was like, "Oh, you sound like." You know, because normally he puts on a different voice for almost every movie, right? But he does sound a little bit like Bill the Butcher. Yeah, I agree. Um, and not the same character. No, it's not. But, it's but a it's, different character. Yeah. Um, and it's funny. Like he is one of the like he can disappear into a role. Like I'm you an know, oil man. you know, you're watching Daniel Day Lewis, and you can kind of see him, like here and there in the role. Yep. But most of the time, you're looking at somebody different. Yeah, he he sits in a different category for me because you know how some people say like Meryl Streep disappears into a role or something like that. Mm-hmm. I always feel like I'm kind of watching Meryl Streep, right? Um, Daniel Day Lewis. I for, sometimes I forget that it's Daniel Day Lewis. Like he, um, he is he does he does have a tendency to to wrap himself in a role more like John Proctor is John Proctor is right. not Hawkeye is not, but Bill the butcher is not Daniel. You know, the and it's one thing like here, here's a good question about this. Like, is it easier for Hawkeye is from last of the Mohicans yeah. for everyone who just went, he's not in the Avengers. What are you talking about? Is, is it a little bit easier for someone like Daniel day Lewis to disappear into a role than Meryl Streep? Because Daniel Day-Lewis has the ability to to do so many more combinations of, like, say, facial hair. Because, like, a lot uh, of the characters you, you mention, like, Bill the Butcher has, like, the... like the choppy The mutton chops thing. and the, the twirly mustache that he's going to tie a woman to a railroad track. Yeah. Um, 
John Proctor has the beard. John Proctor has a full beard. You um, know, Hawkeye has no beard. Right. So, like, aside from being able Lincoln, to change the hair, what's like Lincoln. Yeah. Yeah. Like, aside from being able to change the hair and the outfits. Um, I actually think it's not necessarily the clothes or the hair. It's it's that different voice that he puts yeah, he on. Yeah, does, he does a really good job. Because at, when Meryl Streep puts on a different voice, then I forget it's Meryl Streep. Like, yeah. Like when she plays Julia Child and Julia and Julia. Yeah. Easy to forget. Or, um, oh shoot, what's the, Florence Foster Jenkins. Okay. Um, stuff like that. Like she's, um, or the Iron Lady when she plays Margaret Thatcher. Those yeah. are like, those feel like actual characters yeah um not in the not in the way that some of her other stuff is um so aside from daniel Day lewis who we both agree is really good and should have won uh best he, actor he did i know he but i'm saying he should oh yes like he sh- definitely should have uh paul dano at times is really good and at, and times, at times he's the worst his his yeah. cracky voice kind of betrays his overacting um I, I think I might have texted this when I was watching it. I can't remember. I think it was to you, but I was. I think I said like there will be blood. Spoiler: It feels like a bad high school play where like one like you only have one good actor in the school, right? And I texted you back. Spoiler: You still like it more than I do. Yeah. Um. But that's really what like it's some of it's very clunky, and I think Paul Dano feels like he's trying to reach up to Daniel Day Lewis, but he's right. not quite making it there. Because I've seen Paul Dano in other things, and he's good. Yeah, like I don't love him, but he's good. Um, and he just he just kind of falls flat. He Daniel Day Lewis just overpowers him. Yeah, by not doing anything. Yeah, and I, I kind of like this movie. Kind of like this movie. Like this movie is about him and his. His kind of journey, like you said, he has a feud with this, with this evangelical group and evangelical yep. leader. And yes, they're at odds. They don't. They clearly don't like each other. But at no time are they really at odds against each other. It's not like Paul Dano does anything to hurt Daniel Day Lewis's business. I mean, da- Daniel Day Lewis just doesn't like him. Sometimes you could feel I don't like him either. Um, any questions? The new church road will lead right to the church, right? Like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. You just asked me that five minutes ago in my <laughs> office. Shut up. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I You could kind of read into it that because, like, Daniel Day-Lewis doesn't let him bless the the rig, it, like, all these problems happen because Paul Dano is, like, doing some stuff. You know what I mean? Like he's like yeah, it never says it, but it never says it in any way. But you you could read that he's like he's sabotaging. But you could also read into it that God got really angry that he didn't allow Paul Dano to bless the thing. So all these things are happening, and Daniel Day Lewis just assumes that it's Paul Dano. Like you can look at it both ways. I, yes and no, except that at the end of the film, when Paul Dano like flat out says like I'm a fake, I'm a fraud. You know, well, all because he's trying stuff. to get money, right? But, but, um, the movie the movie plays more with, it plays more with the deceit of men than anything because they're both deceitful, right? Like Daniel's Daniel Davis's character's name is Daniel Plainview, 
and he is one of the most conniving, sneakiest people yeah. that that has ever put on cinema. Like that, there's that monologue scene. He's like, "All my men are family men, and their wives and children come and learn and play." Right. And it's the and it cuts to all his single, familyless men getting out of their tents. When he's like, "They live in their homes, and they're this, and they're all getting out of tents at like yeah. dawn to go work on this thing." Like he's total, like plain view, and everything he says is a total lie. This so, is my business partner and my son, son H. W. Yeah, it's great. Um, and then he'll get deaf, and then I'll disown him, and he'll somehow forget how to. Here's my biggest problem with this movie. Like, okay. Aside from the, aside from, I feel like the script just kind of like wanders along without giving any sort of cohesive storyline. Yep. Um, his child, uh, before he runs into problems, is probably eight, nine, ten. Yeah, around that, eight to ten. An accident happens, and, be, and the child becomes deaf. Yep. The child could speak beforehand. Yep. The child becomes deaf and then the child forgets how to speak. Like I like yeah. I don't know a lot about medical science and I don't know a lot of deaf people. But like I've like I've seen I've seen people I don't know a lot about this, but let me tell you my hardened opinion. Well no, I've seen I've seen other movies where like people get deaf at an age past infancy. Okay. Like after they've started to learn how to speak in that and they can still kind of speak normally. Like his his child sounds more like But when he's an adult he's he's he speaks fairly he's, normally. He speaks kind of like someone who's been deaf since birth. Oh. Or sure. at least somewhat deaf since birth. Like obviously if you're completely deaf. Right. Um I am going I'm going with that like eventually you forget things. You forget how things sound. So he knows how to make he knows how to make the movements with his mouth. Right. But because that works in tandem with your ear, it's not, it's, it doesn't, it's not perfect anymore. Okay. Cause like, right. Like when it happens and he's still kind of like before he gets sent off mm-hmm. and he, and like when, when um, Daniel's trying to, con- you know, communicate with his son, you know, he's, he's trying to talk to him and the son's just not, he, the son can't hear it, right? And obviously, the son can't read lips. For one, no one has an idea of like, well, he knows how to write. Know what he needs? He needs that doctor from uh, <laughs> um, what's that movie? Yeah, shoot, what's the name of that movie? I don't know. Nineteen forty nine. Johnny oh, Belinda. Yeah, he needs that Glenn. doctor from yeah. Johnny Belinda. Um, so, like the the child knows how to write. Like, why is nobody like thinking about communicating via writing at this point? Mm. Um, and even then, like. Why, you know, like, why isn't the child responding via speech? And I, I kind of get like I don't like again. I don't know medical science, so I'm assuming like, like Paul Thomas Anderson is very meticulous in this kind of stuff. Yeah. So I'm assuming he's right. It's just it's kind of like a brain disconnect. I'm. I, I think you're getting hung up on a on a weird thing. Trust me, for this movie, you need to find something to latch on to to keep going. I think you'd latch on to Daniel Day Lewis's performance. Yeah. And it's weird because I'd be like, "Look, don't watch this movie, but but like find like a YouTube like cut of of his Mono- find, movie. find clips of his monologues." And you're yes, fine. because he's in every single scene except for like two. Yep. So just look up like two monologues: the beginning monologue, the end, and the end. I'm monologue. an oil man. Yep. You know the trailer for this movie is way better than the movie itself. Well, because the trailer is just it, that beginning montage. It makes it look so intense. Actually, in the music of this film, there is a real sense of tension um, in this in this film. 
um the the music's by Johnny Johnny Greenwood and it there's like a it's like a high string like you know like one of those right. you know and you just it's it's rather unsettling um and but like a lot stringy. of but a lot of a lot of the movie doesn't deliver like the tension doesn't go anywhere until yeah. maybe the end where the movie like it delivers on the promise of its title uh, yeah, yeah, because there's blood at the end, right? Exactly. I mean, to be fair, there's blood at the beginning too. Yeah, and kind of blood in the middle. But it's real. But it, I really think the end is where we were going. We were going for, and there's a, there's some other kind of twists and stuff in there. I think it's worth watching for his for Lewis's performance because he's in he's not in that many films. He's so meticulous about what he chooses that you only really have a handful of movies to pull from. Yeah. So if you if you want to see somebody who is one of the, like the best actors ever do their job well, watch this movie. But watch it for him and don't watch it because you're interested in the plot. Yeah. Uh, I think there's I think you're right. He he does so few movies but I think there's like watch anything else with him. Just YouTube his monologues from this. Watch anything else with him because it's as much as I really love his performance. It's not worth the two and a half hours. It is a long. It is a long movie for just watching one performance. Yeah, yeah. It's unfortunate. Uh, no Country for Old Men, directed by Ethan and Joel Cohen, written by Ethan and Joel Cohen. Uh, ri- based on the novel by Cormac McCarthy, starring Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, Woody Harrelson, and Kelly McDonald. The movie about Josh Brolin stumbling upon two million dollars, uh, and about the the killer known as um, Sugar, um, played by Javier Bardem, Sugar, Sugar, um, um, on his way to get his money back, mm-hmm. um, and Tommy Lee Jones' sheriff just being like. Maybe, well, I'll, maybe, I don't maybe I'll stop reading my newspaper and go find them. Yeah, I'm telling you, like, the years were not kind to Samuel Gerard. No, they weren't. No. <laughs> like, he, he went from, like, he went from like I really need to get this person who's accused of killing to I should really get this guy accused of killing. And then those two, like, were found innocent. He's like, well, you know what? I'm just not even trying I'm anymore. I'm not trying anymore. <laughs> yep. They're, oh, because um, U.S. Marshals is the yeah. other one you're referring to. Right, right, right. So that is... Um, that's the movie in a nutshell. Another stripped down, simple film. Well, actually, it. I mean, like most Coen brother films, actually, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's a little slow, uh, but it's it's a, affecting. I think, mm-hmm. like, it, there's a again a real tension to it. This movie doesn't work without Javier Bardem. Um. I think he's yeah. the he's the most and I like Tommy Lee Jones a lot, but he's just being Tommy Lee Jones. You know, he's 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 at the point in his career where he's like he's coming in, sipping coffee. He says his lines in the sleep and he goes home. It might be lines from a different movie, but they always work. It doesn't right. matter. Um, Harvey Abadam is really good in this movie. And again, he should have won. He did win. He did. Um, this movie also won uh, best directing and best adapted screenplay. As well as best picture. Uh, all right. So, uh, I mean, adapted screenplay. I always wondered how they choose adapted screenplay. Like, do you have to? Do think, you have to like look at the material I that think it's based you ha- on? I think you and, have to read the material it's and based figure on. it out. Like, how well did they adapt it? Because yeah. um, Javier Bardem's really good. This sh- this movie looks really good. Again, a lot of wide open spaces. So yeah, I don't a lot of sunrises and sunsets yeah. in the west. Um, and this actually shared 
like this film and there will be blood filmed very close to each other. Yep. Uh, to the point that um, the the Derek fire in uh, there will be blood actually caused shooting complications for No Country for Old Men. Really? Because of the smoke. That's um, funny. Actually, did you know the cinematography? I mean, the uh, production design on there will be blood is the same uh, same guy as the thin red line. Does that tell you a lot? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I like Tommy Lee Jones in this. I love, I really like Javier Bardem. Nope, I, you said love. I heard it. I really like uh, love him. the wife and even Josh Brolin. Like this is a really good character piece for more than one character. Yep. Um, But in the end, in the end, like there's, it doesn't. It doesn't co. It doesn't come together for me. Well, it is it because no, because there is no justice at the end of the film. It's not even that there's no justice. It's almost like there's no closure. Like well, this, I, this movie just completely just ends. That is that is Cormac McCarthy in a nutshell. Yeah, like there's so very rarely closure in his stories. Yeah, like there all the, all the pretty horses, um the road. Yeah. Like there's so very rarely closure. That's there's, not the point. Yeah, there's some really good tension in yeah. this movie. Oh yeah. Like, no this, music the, tension the, too. It's hard this, to pull off. Yeah, this movie does really good at at some very tense scenes. But then I think where it fails is the scenes that they just come across just to show like well, look, this is like any other life. Like, you have these very tense scenes, and then he gets into a car accident. Mm. Like, that car accident has nothing to do with anything. Um, no, it doesn't. That doesn't matter. The point is. Um, so, the end of the. So, like. So, the good guys technically have lost, right? At the end of this film. And he's. And he's getting. And he's getting away. Right, Harvey yeah, but he also doesn't away. get his money. Um, he doesn't get his money, but he there's something there's something about like there's something about being injured and getting hurt. So like watching the cycle continue because it mirrors the scene in which in which Josh Brolin stops and asks the kids for the shirt. Right. And everything like that, so it's like the we're the same but different kind right. of kind of thing, um, and that like it's kind of like the point is like nothing is going to stop this guy. Like he's always going to keep going. Right. He's kind of he like Harvey. He's he's kind of a machine. And yeah. I mean, you could I guess technically without the car, you can still kind of get that message. Like you could watch him drive into the sunset, right? And it'd be okay. But I think that. That that mirroring aspect is important, and you know the other thing I just liked about that scene is, um, I feel like the character kind of betrays himself because he's like he he gets the he gets the shirt off the kid, yep, and he's like, "Here's a hundred bucks. You never saw me." I'm like, this character doesn't care. Like this character would just be like, "All right, if they follow me, I'm going to kill him." Wait, what? What are you talking? I'm the confused. Shigar, you, you, Shigar. Yeah, okay. Like when he's when he's on the road and he gets the yeah and he gets the shirt off the kid. Yep. And he gives him a hundred bucks and yep. he's like, "This isn't just for the shirt." When the when the cops come or the paramedics come, I was already gone. You didn't see me. Okay. But this character doesn't care about that. Like this character wouldn't do that. Um, this character would just be like, if they if I come across him, I'm going to kill him. Uh yes and no. 
uh, except that he is like severely injured and his arm is definitely broken, like the bone sticking out. He's not. Whoa, there a, was a bone sticking out of his arm. Yeah, they mentioned that was it a not few made times. Clear. They mentioned it a few times. <laughs> um, so I I disagree. Like he's in too worse. He he his he's not in good enough shape to fend off police officers. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have any weapons. He doesn't have anything to. He doesn't have anything to defend himself, so like his only means of escape is by the kid saying, no, I didn't see anything, yeah. and that's Spe- that. Speaking of what you're right, he doesn't have any weapons, so how does he kill the wife? Uh, well, the first, thing you, the first thing you see him do is strangle a police officer, so I'm going to guess he used his hands. Yeah, but one of those hands don't work right now because his arm's <laughs> broken, so he can't like exact, you know right. what I mean? Like It's not oh. the same. So aside from like the aside from say the last fifteen to twenty minutes, like I really like the scene where uh, Tommy Lee Jones goes to visit his relative. I don't know if they actually tell you how they're related, but you just kind of know it's a relative. I think it's his brother. Um, like that scene, I really like because I really like the acting. Like yeah, all the that guy I, reminds me of my grandfather. All the scenes I really like in this movie, I really like because of the acting and the bouncing off one another. Yep. Um, like most Coen Brothers but, movies. But for the most part, from like that scene on down to the end, yep. I just think it doesn't, like, it's just weird, like, to me, like, it doesn't do anything for the movie. I don't know. It's, I think because it doesn't resolve and it bothers you. Yeah. So, like, it's like, it's like listening to a song and it doesn't end on the right chord. So the, so the music never resolves and it kind of just fades away and you're left with this unsettled feeling like, was there something I was supposed to do today? Like yeah. what? What? What is happening? And it's just because the song doesn't resolve. The, it doesn't resolve on the chord and the, that it's supposed to. And so I, the movie kind of feels like that. Yeah. But the whole but the whole movie is unsettling. And yeah. so like I, it's like this statement about life and how it doesn't resolve and how it's gonna keep going no matter what and blah blah blah. Um, I also I also found it weird like the unceremoniously like offing of. A main character, like off screen. I thought that was weird too. I'm a hundred percent for you uh, with you on that. But again, that's part of the like. Um, it, it almost feels like part of the uh, unsettled, unresolved approach to the film um, because you don't. The only person you, the, the only people you actually see die are non main characters. Right, like yeah, they're, you don't see him kill the wife. You don't. They're they're all right. You don't see him kill Brolin or the wife or any like or any or it's all people that don't. They're all fodder. Yeah. Those are the only actual deaths that you see. So I don't know what there's there's something to be said about like not showing the death of your main characters. Maybe because you're more attached to them, right? Um, or you should be more attached to them. I'm not. I'm not really sure. Um, this was a movie that I wasn't really high on when I first saw it. This second watching, I've come to it a little bit more. Like I would, I would recommend this to people. I don't know if I would watch it again um, because not, now that I've seen it twice, I feel yeah. like I've gotten everything I could out of I it. I don't think it's a very rewatchable film. Like it's not. It doesn't. It doesn't have enough of something to bring you back. There's something missing. Like it's very tense. It's very well acted. It looks good. Just, just something missing. Um, a love also, story. like the no. <laughs> no, also like the five seconds that Woody Harrelson's in this movie. He was great. He was really good, but it's like a character like couldn't you have done something else rather than 
create a character for these two scenes. Well, yeah, but see, you're you're looking at it from a you're you're forgetting it's an adapted screenplay. So, so if that's a character in the book that translates onto the oh, screen, I agree. That, you know but what I mean? It, like, and I'm not fa- like. It's weird because, like, you got to fault the movie for this because it's still, like, this is what you're basing it off. Like, even though it's basing on the original material, like, it's still, like, why? Like, I don't, I think that something else could have been done. He's in four scenes. Yeah. But he doesn't. He's in the office. He just comes in and is like, hey, he's going to kill you. And then he goes and goes back to his hotel room and dies. but But he's the intermediary for, he's the intermediary for. Bardem to go up to that office later. Yeah. So like, which is maybe a little more necessary for the main plot. It's it's almost like Michael Clayton that way, where it wants to be a character piece, but it wants to be, um, it wants to have more like, I don't know, like a um villain intrigue, I guess, right. or and something like that. But it 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 doesn't. It doesn't dive into that, so it's left a little yeah. too open. Um, um, I wouldn't have minded like I would have minded it like a more narrow version of this movie, and then seeing a follow up. Mm. Um, like I think I think two movies, not necessarily as like a sequel, mm. just a a movie with the further adventures of this character or some of the characters. The further adventures of the serial killer known as Sugar. Yeah, um, I just. Because he he's really good and this character is really interesting. Yep. But there's just some things that kind of get in the way or in my brain just don't quite click. Um, mm. which which kind of stops this from being a great film. It's a good film, and I would probably say it's it borders on really good, but there's just something preventing it. I will say that this is probably one of the I think if you're looking at a best picture, like as it. Every bit of it works cohesively really well together, whereas some other movie, like some other things, some other films stand out in one way, but not in another way. Right. Where this one, this one really comes like very, this one is a very strong film in all of its, in all of its components. Yeah, I see what and you're And that's saying. probably why it won Best Picture. Well, we'll find out at the end. Um, do you want us to do, do, do that now? Yeah, because it's the last movie. Okay, great. So the Oscar goes to Atonement. Atonement. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was close to giving it to No Country for Old Men um, because of what I just said, right? But I I enjoyed Atonement more it, because I think it also works. But I think it also is a good adaptation of yeah. of the book. I I I the only little slack uh, I think the cinematography in No Country for Old Men is better um I think I think No Country for Old Men and there's Roger blood. Deakins actually who is a very famous cinematographer um the the two western movies No Country for Old Men and There Will Be Blood look prettier but I like how the scenes are more are done in atonement better yep like I just feel like because they didn't have as much background to work with, mm-hmm. that they meticulously set up a lot of stuff in the scenes. Better. Sure, um, and you're right. I feel atonement works together very well, and all the pieces kind of fit. And it just came down to I would rewatch atonement again 
Whereas I'm I'm kind of done with No Country for Old Men. I would recommend No Country for Old Men for someone who hasn't seen it, but I wouldn't go back and rewatch it myself. I would actually for, for we don't always say this, but I would recommend every one of these for a different for different reasons. Um I would recommend I would recommend all of these I would recommend all these for different reasons. But if I was going to say just watch a good movie, right. I would say No Country for No Country for Old Men, Atonement, and probably Juno. I really enjoy I really enjoyed Juno. I don't I, think it's best picture worthy, but, yeah. but I would I recommend really three it. out of these five movies. I, I just recommended three as well. Yeah, but like I would never like on my worst day, unless it's to a mortal enemy, would I recommend There Will Be Blood? Oh yeah, see, I think you're right though. It really, it's just his. It's really just for his yeah. performance. Um, so that's it. We Yay. did it. We did it. Hooray! Huzzah! Cheerio! Bip bop! Pip pip. Um, you can find us uh, on Twitter and Gmail at Academy Rewind. You can rate and review us in iTunes and find us in all of the places that podcasts can be found, such as Satchel, Overcast, and Stitcher. Um, you are also more than welcome to go to thoughtbubbleaudio.com and check out all the other Thought Bubble Audio shows, including Supergirl TV Talk, Beer with Geeks, uh, Us Academy Rewind, Hate Watch with Us, uh, Krypton. And Krypton, Starkville Sussevel, Krypton. Thanks. I knew I was forgetting one. <laughs> I was waiting. There's, there's like so many shows. I'm like, I'm running low. Man, come next year, it's going to be like, it's going to be half the episode is listing the shows. Look, I, if, if we get one more show, I'm not saying the shows anymore. <laughs> you can just go to thoughtbubbleaudio.com and check them out there. All those other shows are found in the same places that every other one can be found. Uh, so that is the whole kit and caboodle, which is good because they're playing us off. No, I have so many more people to thank. Okay, too bad. Bye. Bye.